Well, in a minute. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 5, the passage that was read a moment ago, verses 13 through 16, or actually 14 through 16, as we talk about the fact that as God's people, we are to be the light of the world. And in our study tonight, as we examine what Jesus said in Matthew, the fifth chapter, pertaining to the fact that we are to be lighthouses for good, we want to talk about the influence that we should exert upon those with whom we interact with on a daily basis. And we're going to be doing that in a moment or two. I do appreciate so much your presence tonight. We're very thankful for our visitors. We're always grateful for the opportunity that we have to come together to worship God in spirit and in truth. We're thankful for the songs that we have been privileged to sing. We had singing at 5 o'clock today, and we had a lot of good song leaders. We have a lot of talent here in the church, and we have a lot of young people that have great talent in leading our singing. And so the future looks bright, and we appreciate so much the presence of our young people tonight, as well as not just tonight, but on every occasion. As we look at Matthew chapter 5, I want us to think for a minute or two about how we as the people of God can use our influence to help others live for the Lord. And obviously, our desire is to make an impact in the world in which we live. Someone has said, and rightly so, that no man is an island unto himself. We come into contact with multitudes of people on a weekly basis. Our goal is to use the influence that we have to make a difference in this world. In our study last week, we emphasized the fact that we are to be the salt of the earth. Tonight, we think about how we are to be a light in a darkened world of sin. The first thing I want us to do is to talk for a minute or two about the institution of light. The institution of light would be the church and how privileged we are to be members of the body of Christ. The church is to be a beacon of light in a lost and dying world, literally in a world filled with darkness. Jesus said, ye are the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. He would say in verse 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. The Bible talks about how the world in which we live is under the domain of the devil. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 at verse 4 refers to the God of this age, the God of this world. That would be Satan. The Bible tells us that the devil walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Through the influence of the devil, the world is engulfed in spiritual darkness. John would tell us in 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, that the whole world lieth under the sway of the wicked one. And so we are engulfed in spiritual darkness. And yet as members of the body of Christ, we are to be that institution, that beacon of light, that shining light for good, collectively speaking. The Bible talks about in 1 Timothy chapter 3 at verse 15, how the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. And so we have a responsibility. 
Our responsibility, collectively speaking, is to shine as lights in the world. You remember Jesus said in John chapter 3 that men love darkness rather than light. And so it's obvious that people are drawn to Satan. Many, many people in our world today, they give in to the overtures of the devil. What we're striving to do is snatch them out of darkness. Bring them to the light, if you please. I want to begin by talking for just a moment or two about the radiance of the church. When people see the church collectively, universally speaking, what do they see? Did you know that people ought to see the blood-bought body of Jesus Christ? They ought to see an institution that shines above all other institutions. And the reason is because the church is a result of God's eternal plan based on Ephesians 3, 9 through 11. God thought enough of the human family to send his son to die for sin. Furthermore, he established the church. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now we know in reading the scriptures that Jesus loved the church and ultimately purchased it with his own blood. Acts chapter 20 at verse 28. Paul would tell us in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 21 that the church exists to bring honor and glory to God. There are a lot of people in our world today and many people even in the church that minimize the importance of this divine institution. And yet you can go back and look at the scriptures in the Old Testament. And God was foretelling of this divine institution. When John the Baptist began his public ministry, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was a church. It was the institution that Daniel had foretold of centuries earlier. And so we have the opportunity, the privilege of being a part of this divine body. And so the church is to radiate in a lost and dying world. When people look at the church, they ought to see something that is very special. When, when I think about the radiance of the church in comparison to all other institutions, every other institution known to man pales in comparison to this divine institution. And so what we ought to do is exalt the church of Christ because it belongs to him. He is the savior of the body, as Paul would say in Ephesians 5 at verse 23. But then I want you to think with me for a moment or two about the responsibility of the church. Now in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, we have the Sermon on the Mount. And in chapter 5, the first few verses, Jesus begins laying a foundation and setting forth divine principles upon which his disciples should honor and embed in their lives. You see, Jesus is our great example. And the Lord Jesus Christ is setting forth some keynotes to the kingdom and saying, if you want to be a follower of mine, if you want to be one of my children, then here's what you need to do. Here are some of the characteristics or traits that you need to internalize in your lives. And so in verses 14 through 16, emphasis is given to being the light of the world. So collectively, what is our responsibility? 
Do we have a responsibility to a lost and dying world? Well, the answer would obviously be yes. We have a number of responsibilities. Why? Because the world is lost and dying in sin. Do you think we really understand that fact in the 21st century? Is it the case that maybe the world in which we live has had an impact on our thinking? And that just as the world has minimized the effects and impact of sin and viewed it as old-fashioned and archaic, outdated, that we have bought into that? And that we have failed to realize that men and women are lost and dying because of sin? Paul in Romans chapter 1 states unequivocally that the Gentile world, that they were under sin. In chapter 2, his conclusion is the Jewish world, they too, they're under sin. In chapter 3, he said there is none righteous, no, not one. And then in verse 23, he would say, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so in light of the lost condition of mankind as a whole, we have a responsibility. That responsibility, collectively speaking, is to stand up for the truth of Almighty God, to share the gospel with the lost and dying world. Let me just begin by saying that the church ought to be the voice for truth in the moral realm. The answer to immorality, unrighteousness, ungodliness, is the gospel. Paul said in Romans chapter 1 verse 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The Hebrew writer said in chapter 4 verse 12 that God's word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. In Ephesians 6 17, Paul talked about the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We are to take God's word and use it to bring about or affect change in this world. Morally speaking, we live in a bankrupt society. A lot of changes have taken place in America. Some of the changes that we have seen in this nation have been for the better. On the other hand, many of the changes that have taken place in this country have not been for the better. And in many respects, we are spiraling out of control, morally speaking. And so we as God's people collectively can be a voice for truth morally. Again, I think about the words of Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, when he said that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. If people in our nation, in our world, are going to hear the truth of God, they're going to have to hear it from whom? From the church, collectively. Jesus said, go therefore, make disciples of all nations. All nations would include the country in which we reside, America. Now, in the moral realm, many times we talk about the importance of the home, and we ought to do that. Because as the home goes, so goes the nation. As the nation goes, well, the home is certainly a reflection of the world in which we live. Or when we look at the nation and, and when we think about some of the problems that are ongoing in our nation, 
They all go back where? To the home. So if we're going to be a voice for truth, morally speaking, we've got to begin instructing people about the importance of that divine institution known as the home. There are three divine institutions that we read about in scripture. The first would be the home, Genesis chapter two. And then the second would be the church, the third, the civil government. But the church can have an impact on the home. Look at how politicians, lawmakers today, are trying to rewrite what constitutes marriage. How does God define marriage? Two men cohabitating together in the context of marriage? What about two women? Would that be acceptable in the eyes of God? No, God said, it's not good that man should be alone. Therefore, I will make a helpmeet for him. That helpmeet was a woman. Why was that? Because the woman is the suitable answer, the companion to man. And so in chapter 2, the Bible tells us in the book of Genesis that God caused a deep sleep to come upon Adam. While in that deepened sleep, he extracted a rib and made the woman and brought her unto the man. Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken from the man. In Matthew chapter 19, when Jesus was asked about divorce, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? He responded by saying, have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? If you want to define marriage, and I'm not talking about how our court system defines marriage, I'm not talking about how our nation defines marriage. I'm not talking about how Hollywood defines marriage. I'm talking about what the Bible says. The Bible says marriage is between a man and a woman. I don't care what society says. I don't care what the nation says. That's what the Bible says. So when we talk about being a voice for truth morally, the church has the responsibility to stand up and say, look, this is what God has said. It's not going to change. People may not like it. They might, they might try to circumvent the teaching of Almighty God. They might reject it, but ultimately, it is what it is. It says what it says. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, verse 89, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. God settled the issue of marriage a long time ago. And what God said in the long ago, one man, one woman for life. Now we talk about as the home goes, so goes the nation. If the nation is going to thrive and be what it ought to be, the home has to thrive and be what it ought to be. Where does that begin? It begins with men and women understanding their roles in the context of marriage. And then I think about the church emphasizing the importance of the husband and wife dwelling together in love, honoring the roles and the responsibilities that God has set forth in the scriptures. Look, look at our nation today. Look at how many young people are growing up without a mama and a daddy. 
Look at how many young people in our nation, in this country, the land of the free. Look at how many young people have no idea who their daddy is. Have no monetary support. They lack love, affection, discipline, all of the viable, valuable traits that will help them be what they ought to be as they grow older in life. In Luke chapter 2, verse 52, the Bible talks about Jesus growing in wisdom, stature, in favor with God and man. That is a well-rounded young person. We need today mamas and daddies that cherish the ideals of Scripture. And so as the church, as members of the church, we can be a voice for good, morally speaking. And one of the ways to get our country back on track, preach and teach the gospel of Christ and uphold the sanctity of marriage, uphold the sanctity of the home, encourage men and women to think about the commitment, the God-ordained commitment of marriage, the responsibilities that rest in rearing children and to rear them in the Lord, to rear them so that they might grow mentally, physically, and spiritually and be what God would have them to be. And then I would suggest that the church is to be the voice for truth, doctrinally. Think for just a moment about what Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. The church is the pillar and ground of the truth. Now, the authority has never rested in the church. But the church has the responsibility of upholding the truth of God of encouraging people to respect the authority of Christ. The authority resides in the church. The church is to be the pillar and ground of the truth. So we are to echo the words of truth. Jude said that we are to contend earnestly for the faith. Paul said that he wasn't ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God unto salvation. Our responsibility is to teach and to preach the simplistic truths of New Testament Christianity. When Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1 at verse 13, he said, hold fast the form, the pattern of sound words which you've heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. And so we have the opportunity to call people back to the truth. Look at the religious division in our, in our nation, in our world. What did Jesus pray for in John chapter 17? Is it possible for the world at large to unite religiously speaking? Yes, it is. How do we do that? How could we accomplish unity for the sake of Jesus? How are we going to do it? Paul had the answer in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 10. He said that we all speak the same thing. The only way that we could ever be on the same platform, spiritually speaking, religiously speaking, doctrinally speaking, is to honor this book that we call the Bible. The church is the voice for truth, doctrinally speaking. We have to tell people, hey, look, this is what the Bible says about the church. This is what the, this is what the Bible says about how to become a child of God. This is what the Bible has to say about the organizational structure of the church. This is what the scriptures have to say about worshiping God in spirit and in truth. 
mean, just fundamental truths, basic cardinal doctrines, as we say. And then I would submit unto you that the church is to be the voice for truth racially. It's sad that we live in a nation, in a world that in many respects is racially divided. And yet, if you look at the scriptures, God views people not on the basis of the pigmentation of their skin color, does he? The Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 16 at verse 7 that God looks at the heart. You see, in Paul's sermon on Mars Hill in Acts chapter 17, Paul said that God has made of one blood all nations of men to dwell on the face of the earth. I don't care if you're black, white, red, yellow, or polka dotted. If an incision is made in your skin, you're going to bleed the same color. We have a real problem among people in our world. The problem is we can't look beyond the color of a person's skin. That's a real problem. And yet the church has the responsibility of standing up and saying, look, every person, red, yellow, black, and white, they are all what? precious in his sight. We have, we have the responsibility of letting people know that we have been made in the image and the likeness of God and that every person has housed within him or her an eternal soul. And, and so the church can take the lead in the nation and in the world and say, look, it's not about the color of a person's skin. It's about the heart. It's about what's on the inside. There, there are a lot of things that I'd like to say about this point. And it grieves me in many respects that we have such tremendous problems, racially speaking, Many of the problems that we have, racially speaking, are self-inflicted. And many times people have difficulty discerning the difference between right and wrong on the basis of somebody's skin color. That ought not to be the case. If something is right, it's right. If it's wrong, it's wrong. And so, to view every person as somebody that has been made in the image and the likeness of Almighty God. How do, you, how do you change a culture that is steeped in racism, the gospel? Please hear me very carefully. The way to change the minds of people when it comes to racism, it's not rioting, it's not looting, it's not burning buildings down, it's not carrying on with a bunch of nonsense. It's about preaching and teaching the gospel. If you go back and look at the, at the first century church, were there racial problems among those people in that day? You better believe there were. 
Read John chapter 4, what Jesus, well, read what John had to say about Jesus' interaction with the woman of Samaria, Jacob's well. John said, the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. They looked down upon those people. In their minds, they were half-breeds. We talk about the Gentile world. Do you think that the Jewish people wanted the Gentile people? That, that, do you think that they viewed them as on the same plane, religiously speaking, after the church began in the first century? Why do you think God sent Peter to the household of Cornelius? The reason was to show the Jewish people that, look, hey, God's eternal plan with regard to the church, Jew and Gentile on the same plane, in the same institution, in the same body. So there were problems in the first century. So how did those barriers or obstacles, how were they brought down? How, how were they torn down? Preaching and teaching the gospel. You want to change this nation? You want to change the thinking of people? Then preach and teach the gospel of Christ. That's the answer. And that's what many people fail to see. When we talk about the moral problems of our, of our nation, we talk about the doctrinal problems that exist in the religious world, the racial problem. Listen, it all goes back to one thing, truth. You remember what Jesus said in John 8, 32? The truth will set you free. What does the devil want? The devil wants to keep people in bondage. The devil wants to muzzle the gospel. The devil wants to do everything that he can to keep this book closed. But what we have to do as members of the body of Christ, collectively speaking, is to preach and teach the gospel of Christ. As Peter and John said in the long ago, we cannot but speak the things we've seen and heard. We need to be a voice for truth in this world. And then I would suggest that we ought to be a voice for truth ethically speaking. Now, when we talk about morality and ethics, the two go hand in hand. But we live in a, day and in a day and age in which many people fail to put a premium on the sanctity of human life. Is it not disturbing to you that our nation has legalized abortion? Does it not bother you that over a million Babies, unborn babies have been terminated by abortion since 1973, over a million every year. Can you believe that? In the free world, in this free nation, that we've allowed that? What do we have to do? Stand up, collectively speaking, and say, look, the Bible teaches life begins at conception. When you read what the psalmist said in Psalm 139, we have been fearfully and wonderfully made. Every unborn child has the right to life. And shame on the Supreme Court. Shame on politicians past and present that have stood for abortion. It's wrong. It's sinful. And the blood is on the hands of a lot of folks in this country. The Bible still reads, God hates the hands of those who shed innocent blood. If you read Luke's account of the birth 
of Jesus as well as the birth of John the Baptist. He chronicles the unborn baby John and then the birth of Jesus. The term babe or baby is used to describe both in their context. And, and really, in the original language, in the, in the original language, the term is brephos. And what, what the writer is saying is that God deems that child in the womb just as much a human being as the child out of the womb. Who's going to tell people that? Who's going to stand up and say, look, this is what the Bible says? Politicians? Social workers? Let me tell you who needs to stand up and say, this is what the Bible says. The church, collectively. We have that responsibility. We are the voice for truth. Let me share one more thing with you very quickly. The resources of the church. As, as the light of the world, what are our two primary resources? Number one, the message. It's what we've been talking about. The way to affect change in this society, in this nation, in the home, wherever it may be, the, the way to change a nation, the hearts and lives of people, is the gospel of Christ. We're not trying to reinvent the wheel. We're just saying, look, this is what has been tried and tested. It's been proven. It works. Go back and look at some of the ancient cities. Look at, look at, look at the Roman Empire. Look at some of the places that the Apostle Paul went in the first century. Travel with him sometime to Athens. Read about where Luke said, when he came to the city of Athens, his spirit was stirred within him because the whole city was given over to idolatry. What did he do? He preached the gospel. Travel with him to Corinth. Spend 18 months with him in the city of Corinth and watch how he changed that city. What did he do? What was the formula for his success? The gospel of Christ. How then can we change this nation, this world, wherever it may be that we reside? It's the gospel. We keep coming back to the same thing. That's because the gospel is the only remedy. It's the only answer. Truth and nothing but the truth will set people free. So as we think about the resources of the church, number one, it is the message. God has used the message as the medium to reach the masses. The second resource that we have is manpower, the membership. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks about how there are many members, yet but one body. The church is one, universally speaking. But within the church, there are many members. The human body, and there is an analogy in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 depicting the church and the human body. The human body has many members. Every member has a part and a place. Every member functions to do something a little bit different. 
By the same token, we talk about the church of Christ. We're one, but we have many members. And God can use each and every member for good. So we have the message, and then we have to have the manpower. When Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, there are two components to the Great Commission. There is the going and the sending. You may not be able to go, but you can send. You can pray for those who do go. You can pray that God's word will find a home in, a, in, in an honest and good heart. You can pray that the gospel of Christ will reach the four corners of the earth. And then as members, not only can we go, not only can we send, but we can support the weak, those who are hurting, those who are in need. It's been a tough week at Olive Branch, right out of the gate. We've had two family members touched by death. Paul said, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You see, as members, there's something that we can do. You ask, you ask the question, what can I do? What could I do to make a contribution to the church in this community? What can I do to be a part of the light of the church? Well, you can teach, you can send, you can support, you can visit, you can send cards, you can pick up the telephone, you can write a letter. There are so many things that we can do, but please hear me. There is something for each of us. I don't care if you're young or old. I don't care if you're black or white. I don't care if you've been to college, you hadn't been to college, whatever the case may be, there's something for all of us to do. We are the institution of light. The church is that institution of light that is to make a difference in this world. Do we believe that? You know, one of the real challenges that elders face is getting every member involved. The leadership here would love nothing more than for all of us, each and every one of us, to be involved, to be doing something for the cause of Christ. Wouldn't it be great if it were said of us that we turned the world upside down? Where'd we begin? Right here in Olive Branch. We can turn the world upside down. We can make a difference because we are the church of the living God. What we've got to do is marshal our forces and go to work. The message and the manpower, they go hand in hand. When Jesus said, go therefore, he said, you preach, you teach. Well, that encapsulates everything the message and the manpower. With those two resources, we make a difference in this world. I want to close tonight by asking this question. Are you making a difference? Using the influence that we have to help others live for the Lord daily. If, if people are going to be what they ought to be,
And if they're going to, to live with a sense of purpose in this life, it's going to take us as members of the body of Christ pointing them in the right direction. It's going to take all of us working together. We are, as Jesus said, the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. I would hope and pray that people in this community know about us. They know about us because they can see our building, yes. But I hope and pray they know about us because we as members are interacting. We are demonstrating ourselves to be lights in a darkened world. I, I would hope and pray that when the term Olive Branch Church of Christ is raised in the presence of others that they know about us. And the reason they know about us is because we're doing what we ought to be doing. We're living as we ought to be living. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, we want to, we want to urge, we want to encourage you to become a child of the living God. I want to encourage you tonight to obey the gospel. Jesus said in the long ago, except you believe that I'm he, you'll die in your sins. We, we live in a day and time when many people have minimized the impact of sin. And I think what Jesus is saying is, if you die in sin, you really got trouble. More trouble than you've ever seen in your life. You don't want to die in your sin. Because the Lord said, if you die in your sin where I am, there you cannot come. So, why not begin with a life of faith and then turn from a life of sin through repentance? Confess the name of Christ before others and be immersed in a watery grave of baptism, rising to walk in newness of life. When you are baptized into Christ, the beauty of that, according to the Apostle Paul, every sin washed away, pure and just in the sight of God. And then be faithful. If you're unfaithful to the cause of Christ, maybe your light is not shining. Could we encourage you to come home? Could we pray with you and for you tonight? James said, confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another. We'd be happy to do that with you tonight as we stand and sing.